I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David. This is your new episode of Baselayer, and you are seeing our faces today. Usually it's only just audio, but now we're adding a little bit of visual. And I'm really happy to announce that ARCA, where I've been working for the last three years, is now launching our early stage venture fund. And that first investment that we've already made in our fund is with Pat and Amy, the co-founders of Bitwave. Pat and Amy, how are you guys today? We're great. Good. I didn't yeah, realize wow. we were the first video. We were the the test for video. Oh God, so yeah. that you're you're gonna break all of your uh, your viewers' uh, screens. Sorry. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna have some fun with this today. Uh, obviously, getting to know you all for the last few months uh, has been phenomenal. And Bitwave is doing something incredibly important in the overall asset class. So we're gonna talk about what you guys are doing there and how you're helping companies and projects and investors in this space. Uh, what we like to do on the show, no different than what we always do when we do just audio, we like to get a little bit of background on our founders. Uh, so we can start with Pat and then go to Amy, kind of where you started from, how you got the idea for Bitwave, um, and what got you really excited about digital assets. We'll start there. Yeah. How awesome. Um, thanks for having us, David. We really appreciate it. You know, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for quite some time. My dad, my dad was an entrepreneur. My brother is an entrepreneur. So my dad, my dad had a a company that was doing like what Dell, what Dell used to do back in the in the eighties, nineties, like doing the the manufactured uh, selling PCs. Obviously, didn't do as well as Dell, but uh, was doing that and uh, and making PCs. So so like my dad helped me build my first PC when I was you know three or four years old. My brother, my brother started a company called Orbit Baby, which made uh, these really cool baby. Baby uh, strollers, and I started my first company uh, in. Uh, gosh, I don't even know. I mean, when I was when I was pretty young, like I created the like when I was in sixth grade or something. I did some stupid little little thing. So I've just always this is what I've always wanted to do and what I love uh, on that side. My my professional career has all been around enterprise software. So that's kind of like you know since I got out of college, I went straight to work for Microsoft. I've worked for Cisco and Microsoft and Intuit and, and companies like that. And enterprise software tends to be something I really like. Uh, from a pure like entrepreneur standpoint, it's a great business to be in. It's hard. Like, don't get me wrong. Every, do, starting a company in general is hard. Like, there's nothing about starting a company that's easy. Enterprise software can be very difficult, but it also is like it, it's it's very different than consumer plays. Like, consumer plays are are like they're they're kind of hit or miss, and and you really like uh, just it's very the consumers are very finicky and and all that kind of stuff. You know, enterprise software, you find someone who has a problem. The problem is painful enough, like it's it's a knife in the wound in, in their side, and they're willing to pay you to take the knife out. Um, and that's it's just a really great business to be in because it's so it's so understandable. Like it's so like, you know, coin operated and in a really good way. That it's great for entrepreneurs because you can come with a little idea, test it, find some people who will pay for it, make it a little bit bigger, make it a little bit bigger. Um, so for me, I, I got into crypto in like 2010. Like I I read the like the first time uh Bitcoin hit the Bitcoin white paper hit the slash dot. Uh, front page. 
I read it. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is brilliant. Like this is gonna go to you know ten thousand dollars. Of course, I didn't I didn't buy Bitcoin as though it was gonna go to ten thousand dollars, which is like, you know, it was my my the, the single biggest and most important thing I've learned from crypto is the notion of asymmetric risk profiles, which is like I had this like five thousand dollars I was gonna put towards crypto. And what I ended up doing is I ended up buying a mining rig. And so I mined like a few Bitcoin, which was super fun. Right. But if I like Bitcoin was like, it was like, I don't know, like $5 back then. Like if I spent $5,000 $5, on Bitcoin instead of a mining rig. And for me, I'm like, ah, if Bitcoin goes to zero. My, my rig was a GPU computer. So right. I'm like, oh, my, if Bitcoin goes to zero, I'll still have this great gaming computer, which was insane. Like in retrospect, you're like, oh my God, that's the dumbest thing you could possibly say at the time. And it's just like, it's this, but it's this idea that like the, the idea of, of being burned by something that goes to zero in some ways can be more overpowering than the idea of something going to work, be worth five, you know, $500 million. So it's, it's the, you know, and this, it goes for like entrepreneur and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's a very long learned lesson about, about what asymmetric risk really means in these, in these spaces. Um, so for, for me, I was just really waiting for when enterprise software and, and crypto were going to intersect. Like that was it for me. It was like at some point businesses are going to get into this, into this like crazy stuff. And I want to be there with kind of a product. And it was just sort of like, what is the first problem they're going to run into? Tax and accounting. And then we'll, and we'll talk more about like kind of what Bitwave does. But for yeah. me, it was just kind of waiting for when, when crypto and enterprise intersected. And that's when we started Bitwave. Awesome. Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I too always wanted to, to be an entrepreneur though. Um, it wasn't in my my family or anything like Pat. I studied business in school, and it was kind of something that I always wanted to do was to have a startup. And I uh, I also worked in enterprise software. That's actually how Pat and I met. We worked at a previous startup together, Sonata, um, that we co-founded. And so when we were acquired, uh, worked at Cisco for a bit, and then Pat had this idea and told me about it. And I had been hearing about crypto from friends. And the more I researched it, the more exciting I found it. The uh, I could see the the potential to change so many things, and uh-huh. it really just was exciting. Right. And so decided to to take the leap and and do the startup thing one more time with Bitwave. That's awesome. And so, Pat, you alluded to this, and Amy, obviously, you were part of the the journey there. There is a confluence between having the excitement and the vision that digital assets give us all in this space with the practicality of knowing that you need to have certain pieces of infrastructure, middleware that make it into a more sizable opportunity set instead of just a very niche opportunity set. Right. So what do you think that turning point was? You alluded to obviously a journey through some time with digital assets what was that turning point that kind of said to you, okay, we really need, this is where there is a lot of opportunity. And this will also get into the next question is, what does Bitwave really solve for? What are the problems that you are trying to solve with Bitwave? For yeah. me, oh, sorry, I was going to say the, the most convincing thing for the opportunity was when I really thought about the difficulty for moving money across borders and just how much people end up paying in wire fees. And um, I thought, gosh, you know, if we could just figure out in general, crypto in general, like a better way to really transfer, transfer money and, and just knowing kind of how archaic some of those um, banking systems really are. um, That's when I thought, Oh, okay. Crypto is, is really here to stay. Yeah. 
You know what? You know what's really interesting about it is is that we took so because Amy and I have done a startup before. We you know with our previous startup we did the whole thing. We raised money, we sold it. You know we we hired, we you know we raised money, we scaled, we we got acquired, all that kind of goodness. Um, it, we had a kind of a, a little bit more of a, a centered view about startups. You know, like startups are it's it's like a startup where you raise money to grow is a particular breed of business. Not every business falls into that. And so, in fact, like Dave, to, to answer your question directly, like we actually didn't when we sort of started the business in 2018, we knew that this was going to be a requirement, but there still wasn't a lot of people that were necessarily taking this particularly seriously. So they weren't necessarily taking crypto, like uh, the accounting and tax piece of crypto very seriously. So we actually very intentionally started Bitway uh, bootstrapped. Like we didn't raise money. We didn't go out and raise a bunch of money to begin with. You know, we just kind of, we both kept our day jobs. Um, we just kind of started in the background. I started coding. Amy started, you know, going to conferences and finding, finding, uh, people who needed it. And it was really this very deliberate thing. It was like, look at, we don't, we actually don't know when this is going to hit. It's inevitable. It's going to hit. Like it was, it was clearly inevitable that at some point someone would need to account for the cryptocurrency. Like there was no doubt. And that, and that like a business would need to pay their taxes on it. There was absolutely no doubt in the world that that was happening. But it wasn't clear when there would be enough people to actually warrant raising money and going kind of like the the growth the growth startup um, uh, direction, and so we sort of played it cool. I mean, we really we we kind of like just set it up in such a way we we hit our first major like fund our, our first major revenue milestones all while bootstrap. So we were very early on. We were profitable. Um, Amy and I didn't really pay ourselves salary, and it was like everything just kind of went back into the business. And that was that was sort of a choice that we made because. A, we, you know, we had day jobs and we, we had other sources of income. So we didn't necessarily need to raise the money and B, it let us get the business further along to then be able to raise with better, you know, better terms and, and, you know, control more of the business and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, for people that are interested, like outside of the digital asset world, people who are more interested in like the theory of startups, you know, not every startup is go raise $2 million, start hiring like crazy. It is very reasonable to kind of like slow roll it if you, if you know something will be a problem, if you if you have this like innate knowledge that it absolutely will be an issue, and you you just don't know the timing, which is always the issue for startups. Yeah. Like how many startups, even for Bitwave, um, it, like I and I say this like I mean not not because we're particularly clever people, but like there's a graveyard of businesses in this space. Yeah. You know, Consensus had theirs, which was Balance. Uh, there was another one, uh, Blocks, uh, that essentially went that route where they raised a bunch of money, hired a bunch of people way before the market was ready. I mean, literally to the, like they were spending, you know, blocks was spending $12 million, $10 million a year, something like that huge burn. Um, and I think they, they had maybe at one point, I don't know, hundred, 150 K of, of ARR. Right. And you just like, it, those things are very incongruous. Like you, when you come into startups, you want to be intentional. You want to think, you want to make sure that you are lining up the market opportunity with kind of your spend and how you're how you're raising money otherwise it's just bad for everybody so the long story short was that like it actually really wasn't until pandemic that the turning point really happened like 2018 we knew it was going to happen but like the pandemic beginning of it when microstrategy and tesla and all these guys started getting serious you know we had customers but that was the rocket ship like that was when the inflection point happened and everybody started getting the space and everybody needed to do their taxes and everyone needed to do accounting around this so let's talk a little bit about the the special sauce, if you will, of Bitwave. One of the things that drew us into is the focus, if you will, 
on more of the DeFi applications out there, staking, yield farming, things that have exploded over the last few years. And so talk to us about some of those pain points, if you will, that you are helping your customers and your clients with right now. Yeah. Well, I'll start even earlier than that because I'm excited to talk about DeFi because <laughs> that's like the, that's the most fun stuff to talk about. But I'll actually start even earlier than that. And, and I don't want to turn this into like a lecture on startup theory, but it is an important, <laughs> like, I, like, I feel like these are important things to get at because, um, we actually have a really deep focus, even, even ex, like, you know, the DeFi stuff is our kind of like internal focus, like inside baseball kind of focus. We as a business have a really deep focus on, on businesses only. So this is another thing that's very different about Bitwave and how we've approached this problem is that we don't, we don't have a retail tax product. We don't have a portfolio manager app. Like we don't have all this other stuff that like, might be fun for, you know, for people that, you know, use crypto, but, you know, we focus solely on businesses. So we wake up every single morning asking ourselves the question is what does, what do we need to do to enable digital assets at enterprises? No other questions. We don't say like, what would it be great to like, Hey, the market's down today. I'd love to see what my balance is. Shouldn't I build an app to do that? Like, no, that does that, that doesn't matter. Um, from our, from our business perspective. So our focus is, is really much like, how do you enable this for businesses? And from there, you get this really great set of like the, like the requirements just present themselves. Like once you get a good focus like that, what you need to do just present like you need to start with accounting and tax. Like that is businesses want to know what, how much money they're making. And it's kind of the fun part about Bitwave. Uh, the, the other thing I really like when you have a retail tax product, people use it under extreme duress, especially in the crypto space. Like no <laughs> one wants to pay their crypto taxes. They don't come to their product because they like it. They come to their product because they, they, like don't want to go to jail. They don't want to pay fines yeah, and they, they and they don't even, and they don't even care about the quality. Like they want their product to just poop out a number and then like to move on with their lives. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of times they want it to be the most conservative number possible because if you're paying your taxes on crypto right now, you are a conservative person in terms of like your financial posture on this stuff. And so for us, like when we got into business, businesses are not like that. Accounting is not like that. Accounting is a great business to be in because accountants tell you how much money you're making. People love making money. Accounts tell you how much money you're making. Software that tells you, you know, that actually helps you account for your money. People like that because it tells them how much they're making. And so it's actually, it's actually kind of more fun in some ways than like a retail tax product because we help people to sort of get a handle on how that, what their spend is, what their expenses are. But then most importantly, like what their, what their actual revenue is around crypto. Um, the secret sauce drilling down just a little bit there is that crypto is is very very difficult to do tax and accounting for so that's i think everyone knows this everyone who's listening to this knows how hard it is to pay your taxes on crypto with businesses you you when you spend or receive crypto when you either have like expenses or crypto or revenue that's a crypto you you basically pick up the way we like to describe in kind of like more accounting terms or, or in compliance terms is you pick up these two obligations you pick up an accounting obligation which is that if you pay me one bitcoin in revenue for my my time on this podcast today I need to recognize that as, as income that needs to hit my general ledger. Like then he hits, that needs to hit QuickBooks as revenue. But then whatever, whatever the fair market value that I use to put into my, into QuickBooks as revenue also needs to stay attached to that token or coin as the cost basis for tax purposes. Right. So, so crypto creates this duality of obligation on any single transaction that ends up being uh, essentially nigh on impossible to really track in, in scale once you're doing this for like millions and millions of transactions or even 10. I don't know. And so that's the secret sauce is that we focus on this idea of like basically by doing your bookkeeping, which you you need to do 
and you want to do because it tells you how much money you're making uh, or it tells you how much how much expenses you can write off. Uh, by doing your bookkeeping, you can then also get your taxes essentially for free because we're, we're capturing all the data at the, at the same time. Right. So that's that's our general philosophy here is like making people's lives easy by piggybacking on the work they need to do anyways to, to help with this problem. Right. It, yeah. Amy, anything to anything I can add to that? Well, and uh, I mean, DeFi for us really just fit in so nicely because another thing businesses do and, and need are kind of interesting um, ways to create yield and uh, financial instruments to use. And so DeFi really was another thing that really during the pandemic hit huge and helped the trajectory of, of BitWave really just go to, to where it is right now because the complexity of general crypto accounting and bookkeeping is one thing. And then once you get into DeFi, it really becomes untenable without a, a sophisticated software solution. Right. Yeah. And so in light of what's recently been occurring from the policymaker and regulatory side, there's obviously been more emphasis on exactly the solutions that you present. And so regardless of where we are today, where we go in the next five years may be something very different. Obviously, we may see more regu- more regulation. We may see more of a pathway to clarity as to what is a security, what is not a security. But irregardless of that, where do you see the company going in the next five years? And what are you really excited about in terms of the solution set that you present, you know, in terms of working with companies that are crypto native and that are not? Yeah. It's a great it's a great question. So yeah. the way the the way we tend to think about this is you know it, <laughs> so it, there's sort of, there's kind of two parts of this is that if if you created a company like Bitwave, let's say you create QuickBooks today uh for for the digital asset economy. Uh it's it's a very different business. Like it is very different to like say hey, we're going to kind of adapt you know, we're going to adapt the old financial models and the old accounting models and the old bill payment models and the old payroll models to a digital asset world. And we, you know, we can help with that today. So today, if you want to run payroll and you want to do a bonus to all your employees that you pay in crypto, we have a workflow for that. Like you can run the payroll, you, you import as a bill. We pull in a Bitwave. You can, you can basically pay it from inside a Bitwave, you know, with your, with your MetaMask. It's all done there. But that's very backwards, right? Like that's that's the that's like kind of like taking the old models and adapting it to the new the new world. What gets me so excited is that like if you really step back and rethink what can change with with crypto, what can change with smart contracts, what can change with with like the with Ethereum and like the smart chains we have um, around these things. That's where I get super excited. So you know, I I kind of think about Bitwave that we we sort of have solved and solved is a very difficult word because. Literally every single week, there's like seven new chains out there you have to support. So yeah. solved is a very <laughs> loaded way of, of saying this. But we really have a good handle on kind of like the base layer of tax and accounting for businesses. Anyone anyone who's doing basic stuff, like if you're a miner, you can be up and running with Bitwave in, in 15 minutes and and like and you'd spend like two minutes a, a month to do all your taxes and accounting. Um, what gets me excited is like the next layer of all this is, you know, let's say when we move from kind of the, the period-based payroll to more streaming payroll. Which is where you set up a smart contract between you know your, the employer and the employee. The smart contract basically is every single block. So there's six thousand Ethereum blocks a day. Uh, every single block is releasing a little bit of their pay for that day, and then that's each day is releasing a little bit of pay for that period. So instead of instead of thinking about payroll as this like discrete thing that happens a week after the pay period, 
payroll becomes this sort of streaming thing where every single day that I'm working, I'm getting access to a little bit of my pay for that period. And so that's great because if I need to buy a TV, I just go and I pull the, you know, the whatever 500 USDC off my, uh, off of my, uh, my streaming contract and I go and buy my tea from there. But what becomes cool is then you can take that and you can collateralize it and go and borrow against it. So screw the, the payday lenders that are charging usurious rates. I'm just going to go and collateralize my streaming payroll that the business is going to back. So the business as a, as a service to the employee can basically allow that. They can allow you to collateralize the full amount of that. The business takes on a little bit of risk. But, I mean, this is a bonus to, to your employee. This is a perk to the employee. They can then go and buy, do you know payday loans against the streaming payroll. So like, there's this idea like there are all these new things. And then you take that and that can apply. You know Anything that can apply to payroll can apply to invoicing, can apply to bill pay, can apply to like company to company contracts, can apply to customs. So this idea of like streaming, you know, streaming customs contract that release the customs actually as as custom agents are acting on your operation, on your on the shipment. When they go in and they say, yes, this is approved by customs, that releases payment from the shipping company back to the, the escrow agency or whatever it is. There's all this stuff that is not part of how we think about this. Like right now, you have your you have like all the processes out there. You have payroll processes, you have customs processes, you have supply chain processes, you have intercompany like invoicing processes, and then you have finance, which is like sort of like a week or two behind, kind of just sending invoices back and forth. Those two can kind of merge together. And at that point, it's an enormous amount of of like saved effort. Like you really change the dynamic and the amount of work people are doing to enable these use cases. And so we see that and we see there and, and like I love talking about that because it's like those are the things I can think of. But like I couldn't think of DeFi. Like I like no, I didn't think DeFi was going to happen. When I when I first read the Bitcoin white paper, I never saw DeFi. Right. And so the same way that's how we feel today is like, okay, like streaming payroll, cool. But there's all this other stuff that's going to happen that I can't even imagine. It's going to be super excited. And I think one of the things I'd like to finish on is there are those that are concerned with the environmental impacts of digital assets. Mm. They are concerned about the amount of carbon that is used to mine Bitcoin. Uh, obviously, Ethereum before it moves over to proof of stake. Uh, obviously, still on proof of work. Uh, there are those that have written articles about NFTs, and if, as anyone knows, NFTs have had a massive year this year in terms of yeah. popularity. And so, maybe, maybe you can you know field this question: What are your thoughts about being able to provide some sort of a visibility for those that are involved in the space about those types of uh, activities? Yeah. Well, first, I do think that there are a lot of people who are trying to uh, be very conscious about that. We have some excellent customers who uh, one of our customers is a miner that specific, specifically just goes and uses excess power at power plants that would just be wasted otherwise. They take their mining rigs and they go and they're just kind of capturing the power that's already been generated. And so I, I do think that the more people are aware of the environmental impacts, the more they're able to find solutions and, and workarounds. I don't think that anyone's intent in, in the industry is to be like totally wasteful of, of energy. And so I think a lot of great things are, are happening. Um, are yeah, happening there. yeah, there's, there's, and, and we're, we're working on pieces of this too. So we're working on a dashboard that actually will show you your carbon footprint from a, from a crypto perspective uh, and actually be able to actually show you more of how you're thinking about this. I think that it is, there's a, it's a really complicated question without, with, with like, you know, with kind of pitch battles on both sides, uh, a little bit political in that way. 
you know, there's there's a real legitimate world where the, you know, one of the major issues with with sustainable with renewable energy is that for most renewable energy, there actually is a is a disconnect between supply and demand. So, for instance, you know, the for solar is a good example. You know, solar obviously generates during the day, but people tend to need more electricity at night. Now, in the summer, that's different because of air conditioning, but certainly during the winter, you tend to need more electricity at night. So, you end up having this mismatch between your supply, your supply and your demand curves for those for that electricity. Um, one of the things that Bitcoin can do, or that that cryptocurrencies in general can do, is they can act as a bit of a of a battery. And it's kind of a weird way to think about it, and and a lot of people don't like this analogy, and that's that's totally reasonable. A lot of people don't like crypto in general, so like, <laughs> you know, you can't make everyone happy. But it's one of those things that like, there's only so many ways to do capture of electricity off of renewables that have mismatched demand, supply and demand curves. So you have things like what Tesla is doing in Australia, which is they actually have a big battery. They, they basically took a bunch of their lithium ion batteries dropped into the desert in Australia, you know, that has its own set of issues. You know, there's, there's manufacturing and there's, there's a environmental impact issues for the, for the lithium mining. There's environmental impact issues for the disposal of the batteries. You know, there's, there's, there's a whole set of like questions around the environmental impact of something like a battery going into it to supply that. You know, the other options are you have a, there's a place in, what, in a Colorado where they pump water uphill. So basically during the day, they, you know, there's excess electricity, they pump water uphill, and then at night they run turbine fans to actually power electricity to use it that way. You can only really do that where you have a nice place that you can pump water uphill into. And they they happen to have like a a cavern inside of a mountain they can do that on. Um, And there's, you know, there's a handful of other like schemes for how to sort of like save massive amounts of electricity from it. Bitcoin ends up being another way of doing an economic it's an economic capture for excess electricity. So when I look at the sustainable world, I actually I love the overlay of crypto pr- proof of work mining with crypto because what you can do is that they can start you can make you can make sustainable electricity more sustainable. You can basically start to align the supply and demand curves by overlaying crypto you know proof of work mining so that during the day when you have more wind or at night when you have more wind during the day when you have more sun you know, or when you're during during uh, um, spring in in Oregon, when you have more water, you can basically capture more of the more of the economic uh, more of the economic revenue generated by the renewable source, and then that makes your renewable source that much more efficient and that much more likely to to get to garner more investors. So as more investors are going to put money into this, you're like, well, hey, you're not just making money from selling electricity. We're gonna we're gonna basically subsidize the cost of the whole power plant by mining Bitcoin during the day. So you're really, we're actually like always going to say at hundred percent demand on our, uh, on our electricity infrastructure, which really makes the whole thing a lot more efficient. So I think that like people, people tend to pick like once they, they tend to look at China where people were really doing this sort of energy arbitrage where they were basically using the, the government to subsidize in a way that was essentially illegal uh, to subsidize their Bitcoin mining, and they kind of went way overboard. And that's where you get those numbers, like seven nuclear plants of electricity goes into Bitcoin. But that that sorted itself out. Like China's like, hell no, all the miners are moving to America now. Like that stuff sort of sorted itself out. The better stuff is like what's to come, which is how you can kind of figure out how to leverage these things to to really make sustainable is actually more more profitable and long term sustainable. Right. And I think the takeaway there too, aside from that, is that. You and obviously Amy and the folks that we have identified that having that visibility there is something that for those that are in uh, the space that are building, they understand that there is a generational shift where 
the younger generations are very conscious about ESG, about conscious about sustainability, and that you'll be able to present those those data points in a very clear and transparent manner. Where I think even though we've we've joked and we've we've chided about Elon Musk's tweets over the last six or seven months, there has been some good about that in terms of providing further transparency, which is anyone who follows the space knows transparency is typically one of the first pieces of the ethos of the digital asset movement. So I think that's really important. The last part, you know, what I always like to do is where can people find out more about BitWave if they are an investor or are currently you know, running a project or a company in the space? Where can they find out more and where can they start to talk to you and Amy and the people there? Yeah, absolutely. You can visit us online at bitwave.io or on Twitter at Bitwave Platform. You can also email info at bitwave.io. Awesome. Pat and Amy, co-founders of Bitwave, again, one of ARCA's first investments in our new venture fund. We are so proud of this investment. We think you guys are going to do great. Hopefully everyone takes a listen, takes a look at what they're doing there at Bitwave, and we'll come back with you guys in about six months and catch up. Thank you. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, thanks so much. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you'd like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.